Welcome to the Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior Twenty, and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. All right, y'all, buckle up. It is September 26th, Tuesday. Mariners lost their fourth straight, their first of the three games set against the Astros. These are the playoffs before the playoffs. The Mariners are now 82 and 84 and 72. Four games out of the AL West behind the Rangers with six to play. One and a half games behind the Houston Astros for the third wild card. Three games behind Toronto for the second wild card. And ESPN now gives the Mariners a 27.7% chance to make the playoffs. Not good. Mariners aren't looking good. People are frustrated. Twitter's going bananas. Bats were silent. Mariners were shut down by Justin Verlander, a 40-year-old Justin Verlander. Mariners had Luis Castillo on the mound. I expected Castillo to pitch better than he did. But on today's Mariners cast, I'm going to counter a lot of what I saw on Twitter last night. I am going to counter a lot of what I'm hearing from Mariners fans being upset with this team. Mariners fans are upset with Jerry DePoto. People are bringing up the offseason. People are bringing up the trade deadline. Friends of mine, people I care about, people I talked about uh, the Mariners with all season long. And I could not disagree more with what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. Baseball is not a game of instant gratification. Baseball is a slog. It is a 162-game season. It lasts most of the year. It's a marathon. It is not a game of instant gratification. It is not the type of sport where you can go out and spend a bunch of money and win. Teams need to spend money in order to win, 100%. But not all teams need to spend the same amount as the Dodgers. Right? Nobody needs to spend as much as the Mets in order to win a championship, in order to win a World Series. That is not the solution with this team. And it will never be, as long as this current ownership group is in place. No matter how much pressure you think the fans can put on this current ownership group to spend money, they are not going to spend money in the way that you want to unless there is a financial return presented to them or a justifiable argument for a financial return, such as the Mariners got with signing Ichiro. Shohei Otani might be that one-off, but Trey Turner wasn't going to be it. Carlos Correa wasn't going to be it. Xander Bogertz wasn't going to be it. I didn't plan on going off this soon, but I'm fired up about what I heard because I think people are being spoiled I think people are being uh, unrealistic. And I don't think a lot of either of these Mariners fans haven't been around for very long or they just don't get it. Because the Felix years were rough outside of Felix. The 80s were brutal. The Mariners were the laughing stock of baseball for years, for my entire childhood. The Mariners almost moved. Jeff Smolian almost took the Mariners, excuse me. Yeah, Jeff Smolian almost took the Mariners to Tampa Bay. 
in 95. If you weren't around for that, you don't get what's going on now. It makes me crazy. And I think folks take this for granted. So buckle up. We're going to go over last night's game. We're going to talk real quickly about tonight's matchup. And then I'm going to move into some of the things that I think, some of the arguments that I've heard, some of my rebuttals, and where I think the Mariners stand moving forward. Last night's game was rough. It was brutal. There's no way around it. Mariners lost 5-1. Houston was up 3-0. Bottom of the second, by the bottom of the second, or Houston was up 4 nothing. by the bottom of the third. It was ugly. Luis Castillo came out with more velocity than we've seen from him on average this season. He topped out with the four-seamer and the sinker at 99 miles an hour. He was a mile an hour over his four-seam average, 0.7 miles an hour over his sinker average. His slider was up. His spin was up for the most part, on his pitches. Like, he was amped up and ready to go. It's clear that he pitches at, like, 95% most of the time. He was coming out at 100%. You could see it in him. You could see it in the explosiveness in his pitches. But the Astros have a professional lineup. And the Astros have a balanced lineup. Whether you like Mauricio Dubon or Jeremy Pena or Martin Maldonado or even a Chaz McCormick as hitters, right? Objectively speaking, I don't love them as hitters, but there's balance in their lineup. There's balance in their approach within the lineup. And I think that is a lot of what serves them well, right? And they were able to hit Luis Castillo. There were some some hits that weren't, you know, hard hit, but they were professional hits. And then their big guns, Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez came through with home runs. Nevertheless, if the Mariners' bats had a pulse in this game, they may have been able to come back. But Castillo gives up five runs in six innings, strikes out eight, doesn't pitch well, is not clutching this game. I still don't blame him. Thornton, Saucedo, and Leon came in and pitched uh, scoreless seventh, eighth, and ninth. But Verlander was nails. Eight innings, three hits, one run, one walk, eight strikeouts from Justin Verlander. It was vintage Verlander as far as I'm concerned. The only Mariner with two hits was Josh Rojas. The only other Mariner hit was Dominic Canzone. Everybody else went hitless. And the only walk was J.P. Crawford. The Mariners had four base runners total in a must-have game at home with their ace on the mound. This was the seventh-to-last game in the middle of a playoff race, and the Mariners put up four base runners. It's inexcusable. The thing about Verlander in this game was he didn't do anything different than he had done previously. Verlander comes into the game with a 3-4-0 ERA. I talked about it yesterday. Velocity down, spin a little bit down, not a strikeout pitcher anymore. Some below average advanced metrics from a pitching standpoint. And he shut the Mariners down. The Mariners shut themselves down. Let me rephrase that. Verlander threw uh, slightly fewer fastballs than he has over the course of the season. Slider usage was up slightly. Curveball usage was up slightly. Even the changeup usage was up slightly over yearly averages. Makes sense against the Mariners. Fastball hitting team. I get it. 
I get it. But the Mariners were impatient. The Mariners didn't look like they had a great approach up there against him. And I'll talk about it later, but I don't think the Mariners are very malleable in their hitting approach, player to player. They don't adjust well. And so Verlander was able to take take advantage of this. I also think the Astros have incredible, incredible advanced scouting. Their ability to understand the intricacies of the other team, right? The fact that Verlander threw less fastballs, super smart. Mariners a fastball hitting team. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, but the Astros don't make those kinds of mistakes. Luis Castillo, he he was led with the sinker in this game. He was sinker, four-seamer, more so than he typically is. So the, the sinker, sinker and four seamer or the sinker and four-seamer for Luis Castillo typically makes up about 62% of his pitches. And in this game, it was 65%. But he led with the sinker instead of the four-seam. This was the same approach that he, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert took in the Astros series in Houston just before the All-Star break. And all three were very, very good. But if you try to come back and do the same thing against the Astros that you did successfully in the previous series, their team is so smart. Their team is so good. Their scouting is so good that they're, they are able to anticipate that. I bet you any amount of money the Astros came in knowing Luis Castillo was going to throw more sinkers than he typically does because that's what he did successfully in the last outing against them. you got to continue to adjust. You've got to be ahead of the curve. And sometimes I don't know if the Mariners do that on a game-to-game basis, right? I think they are very good at developing players, but that's different than advanced scouting. That's different than adjusting minute-to-minute. That's different than adjusting game-to-game. And so in this game, I think the Mariners in some ways were outsmarted because they had the better arm on the field. They've got a similar scoring offense. And they were at home. There's no reason the Mariners should have lost this game. It's upsetting. It's upsetting to Mariners fans. It's upsetting to me. They have to have tonight's game. Tonight's matchup is Christian Javier against George Kirby. Javier 9-4 and four with the 4-6-4 ERA and a 1-2-8 whip. He's thrown 151 in the third innings. He has not been the Christian Javier of 2022, where he looked dominant and looked like a lower inning, high strikeout sort of pitcher, like a five and dive, six inning type of pitcher, but with 200 plus strikeouts. That's what he looked like last year. He hasn't looked that way this year. George Kirby's on the mound for the Mariners. As you know, he's been scuffling a bit. 11 and 10, 3, 5, 8 ERA, 1, 0, 6 whip. This is it. He's got to come up clutch. He's got to come up clutch tonight, and he's got to come up clutch against the Rangers. There's If the Mariners want to make a playoffs, that's what what he has to do. That's the matchup. The Mariners have a slight advantage in this pitching matchup. I said the same thing last night. We will see what happens. It's going to be up to the bats. Can the bats wake up? Can the bats show up? All right, I'm done talking Houston for now. Not even going to bother with Toronto or Texas. I think that the Mariners just have to focus on getting past Houston, and that's it. Texas is pretty much out of reach, barring a miracle. If you get past Houston, you're in the playoffs. Focus on Houston. 
Don't focus on anything else. No more scoreboard watching. It's about the scoreboard at T-Mobile Park tonight. All right. So I want to talk about the roster build and the types of players the Mariners have offensively in watching some of these other teams um, and thinking about the Mariners lineup. One place where I am critical of Jerry DePoto and his staff is, you know, they built an offense that can't adjust. They can't adjust. There's, there's, Cal Raleigh is, well, I'll start off this way. Mariners basically have a bunch of three true outcome type players, meaning walk, strikeout, home run. And a couple of, you know, and then you have JP Crawford, who is a pure on base percentage type of player. That's how I look at him. His value, offensive value is wrapped up in his ability to get on base, specifically his ability to walk with a little bit of power. And then Julio, who's an outlier. Julio's an MVP candidate. He's just an outlier. I think you take as many Julios as you can get, right? I'm not worried about his approach. His numbers speak for themselves. And you've got this handful of players that don't impact the Mariners offense currently a whole heck of a lot. Caballero hits lefties well, plays good defense, can run. Rojas, below average, second baseman. His approach isn't very interesting to me. He's never going to be very good. Tom Murphy, a prototypical platoon, short side platoon catcher, hits for power. Dominic Canzone, I think he is a question mark, but I like what I see so far. Low walk rate, low strike rate, strikeout rate, hits the ball very hard. He could be the strong side platoon first baseman for the Mariners next starting next season. And then Sam Haggerty, who's like a 26-man type of guy, kind of like Caballero. Don't know what you're going to get from him. His lefty's better than righty. He's not a big deal. And then you've got the abyss. Sentai France into outer space, please. Get rid of them. Send them anywhere but on the 2024 Mariners. I am done. We'll get to him in a minute. So you've got Julio, you've got JP, you've got the bench, and you've got Ty. Put those guys aside for now. But then the Mariners have this whole group of players with a very similar approach. And when you have players that aren't putting the ball in play, which is what three true outcome players do, when you don't put the ball in play, you can't really start rallies, right? You can't you can't get base runners moving. You're not hitting gap to gap. You're not hitting doubles. It's walk or home run. Cal Raleigh, 30 home runs. That's great. Cal Raleigh elite catcher, top five in Fangraph's war at catcher. I love Cal Raleigh. I think the mayor's lucky to have him. 30 home runs, 28.1% K rate. The average K rate for a major league hitter this season is 22.7%. So he strikes out about 5.5% more than the average hitter. Eugenio Suarez, 232 average, 21 homers, 30.9% K rate. 8.2% higher strikeout rate than Major League average. Taylor Hernandez. Taylor Hernandez hits for a little better average, right? Puts the ball in play about the same amount as Gino does, but he puts it in play in better places and on the ground a little bit more. 263 average. He has 26 home runs, 30.7% K rate. Taylor's been very good. I'm not being critical of Taylor or Cal. I think Gino's exactly what you think he is. Jerry Kelnick, 
252, 11 home runs, 31.2% K rate. Kelnick has been okay. You need him to take the next step if he's going to be a regular in left field. Cade Marlowe, when he was up, 33% K rate. Mike Ford, 32.1% K rate. Dylan Moore, 34.8% K rate. So what I'm getting at is some of these players are nice players, right? I think specifically Cal and Teo, I like a lot. I think other players have potential. But when you have a lineup full of 30% strikeout guys, that means essentially one in three at-bats for the majority of your lineup. For the majority of your lineup, one in three at-bats are going to strike out, are going to result in a strikeout. you got to put the ball in play. You play in this big park in T-Mobile. You've got to put the ball in play. It doesn't work. You can have I, I, Cal Raleigh. You have to keep. I love Cal Raleigh. You can have a couple of these three true outcome type of hitters in your lineup. That's fine. Every team does for the most part. Keep Cal. I want them to resign Teo. But outside of that, you got to start questioning, right? I, I I like Gino too, and Gino has played an elite third base. But when you put those guys back to back to back in the lineup, when Cal is next to Gino and Teo is right there. And Kelnick is there and Ford is there. Like you're just striking out all the time. There's no pressure on the defense. There's no pressure on the pitcher. You've got to be able to manufacture runs in different ways. And so when you go against a strikeout pitcher, the Mariners are toast unless they get lucky with one of those home runs from one of those hitters or Julio Rodriguez carries the team. And that's why I keep saying Julio has to carry this team is because there's no there's no rally, right? There's no there aren't a lot of doubles into the gaps. There aren't a lot of doubles down the line. Not a lot of like professional hitter type singles. Mirrors are missing professional type hitters. This is what Ty France was supposed to be. Ty France, 101 WRC plus. The average first baseman in baseball. Average first baseman in baseball. According to Fangraphs, 107 WRC plus. So the average first baseman is 7% better weighted runs created than average. Ty France, 1% better than average. 249, 335 on base, 10 home runs in like 600 plate appearances. I, I'll look real quick to see exactly how many plate appearances, but it is egregiously high for a hitter that's putting up those kinds of statistics. 6.4% walk rate. That's 2.9% lower than your average first baseman. He sucks. Ty France has had 600, and you've given this hitter, who is a below average first base hitter, providing you with next to no power and no walks, 641 plate appearances this season. He's terrible. Send him, send him into outer space. Get rid of him. I, I do, Tyler Locklear. I don't care who it is. Anybody. Pick Canzone. Ford. Finding a short side platoon hitter to play first base is not that hard. Shoot, put Dylan Moore there as far as I'm concerned. I don't care. Have a Dylan Moore 
Dominic Canzone, Dylan Moore, Mike Ford platoon. That is going to be so much more productive than Ty France. You gave Ty France 641 plate appearances at first base with a 101 WRC+. So you've got one player in Ty France that puts the ball in play. You've got one player in J.P. Crawford that walks a ton and hits for some power. And you've got Julio. And the rest of the guys in the lineup strike out 30% of the time. That's not a recipe for success, in my opinion. In 2001, when the Mariners won 116 games, you had a lineup that could adjust, right? It was Ichiro. Uh, we all know his bat to ball. Mike Cameron struck out a lot. He hit second, but he hit for power. Brett Boone, very similar. Edgar Martinez, Hall of Fame hitter, hit fourth. Jay Buhner, lots of strikeouts, lots of home runs, hit fifth. John Olerud, very professional hitter from the left side, playing first base. Hit 363, I believe, one year with Toronto. Dan Wilson was kind of a zero at catcher. You expected that, but he was a good fielder. Carlos Guillen put the ball in play, very good hitter. And David Bell. But there's balance there, right? You could say one of the best bat-to-ball guys of all time in Ichiro, right? You had Cameron and Boone. There's some strikeouts there. Some power. Edgar Martinez. Hall of Fame professional hitter. Jay Buhner, 3-2 outcome. John Olerud, professional hitter. Like, you go down the Mariners lineup and it's 3-2 outcome. It's Julio. It's JP on base percentage. Julio, MVP candidate. Then it's like basically three-true outcome, three-true outcome, three-true outcome, three-true outcome. Teo, who's kind of that way. At least he strikes out 31% of the time. And then you have Ty France, who's a who's a like a life suck, basically. They need more balance. They need more diversity. It's too easy for dominant pitchers to, to just kill the Mariners. It's too easy. And yet. I say all this, and if you made it this far with me, thank you. And yet, to all the detractors and all the people out there who wanted Trey Turner, who wanted Xander Bogertz, who wanted Carlos Correa, to all of you, do you know where the Mariners stand in runs per game? They score 4.72 runs per game. Do you know where they stand in Major League Baseball? The Mariners are tied for 10th in baseball out of 30 teams. 10th. The Mariners are in the top 10 in runs scored per game. All the smack I just talked about this lineup, the way it's constructed, the types of players they have, the lack of diversity, all that stuff, and they still are tied for 10th in runs scored. I'm sorry, criticizing this front office and saying it's their fault, and saying they needed to pick up a bat, you're wrong. Could they have done better? Sure. But this front office isn't bad. This front office is very good at what they do. And I think sometimes they op operate under constraints that we don't get, that we don't understand. They're 10th in baseball in run score. 10th, 10th, 10th. Do you hear me? 10th. Like, that's good. There are 14 teams that make the playoffs, right? 
four division winners, three wild cards. National League, American League, 14 teams. Mariners are 10th in run scored. Stop blaming the front office. Can they do better? Yes, but every front office can do better. They need to diversify. They need to find different types of players. I want to see them find more bat to ball. I want to that to see them have an offense that's able to adjust to the type of pitcher they're facing, right? Ty needs to go. Second base needs to be solved. I think you've got to ask some questions at third base about whether Gino Suarez is the guy you want there. Is he a championship third baseman? Their questions can be asked about whether Jared Kelnick should be a starting left fielder or not. I think we're at that place. Tailscar Hernandez, you have to see what he needs from a contract standpoint, whether you want to re-sign him or not. I want them to. I might be in the minority. So you've got offensively, and I'm not even counting DH, you probably have five spots you have to address. The only ones safe to me are Cal, JP, Julio Rodriguez. Basically, that's it. And yet the Mariners are 10th in offense this season. Trust the front office. This offense isn't going to instantly be great. Trust them. Trust their process. Trust what that they know what they're doing. Because in my mind, they do. I've seen some really bad Mariners offenses. This is not one of them. Not to mention the fact that two years from now, the Mariners will have a ton of hitters on the way. A ton. The Mariners will be swimming in young, potentially star hitters. Two years, three years, and four years down the road. So you've got to be patient. You got, in my opinion, I want them to play the long game. We've seen with the Mets and some of the others what happens when you just try to spend willy-nilly and be impatient. That's not what they should do. It's not. This is not about your instant gratification. This is about building a winner and a dynasty over time. Pitching-wise, I've seen some people on Twitter say that it's George Kirby and Logan Gilbert and Luis Castillo, and they shouldn't be tired. They shouldn't be tired. Mariners knew they were going to be tired. The quote from Seattle Sports on August 14th on Jerry DePoto's weekly show, the quote from Jerry DePoto was, quote, we were intending after these off days to go to a six-man rotation for a period of time, which would help us to manage the innings for our young starters coming down the last month and a half of the season. And we'd still like to do that. The Mariners to begin the season had a rotation of Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Robbie Ray, Marco Gonzalez. Ray and Gonzalez are veterans. Robbie Ray is a former Cy Young winner. I don't think that's who he actually is. But you expected 180 innings from Ray, probably 150 innings from Gonzalez if he was productive. They both get hurt. Even when Emerson Hancock was brought up, the Mariners were planning to go to a six-man rotation. Jerry DePoto knew that this rotation was going to get tired. He talked about the young pitchers, but he was insinuating everybody. The one pitcher you didn't worry about as much was Luis Castillo, but you had to worry a bit about George Kirby. Less worry about Gilbert, but at least some, right? 
If you gave them an extra day of rest every time through the rotation, they were going to be more fresh. You would get better innings from them. That was the theory. I believe that theory. Now you've got Bryce Miller and Brian Wu going way over the number of innings that they probably expected to throw this season. And you've got a tired George Kirby and a tired Logan Gilbert, in my opinion. The Mariners starting pitchers since August 14th, when that quote was said by Jerry Depoto. Over 209 and two-thirds innings, they have a 4.25 ERA and a 1.25 whip. On the season, the Mariners have a 3.92 ERA and a 1.14 whip. 0.33 more runs, more earned run, 0.33 more earned runs since August 14th compared to over the course of the year. And 0.11 higher whip. Walk rate stayed the same. K rate has gone down. The Mariners pitchers have not been as good since Jerry DePoto had come out and said that they had planned to go to a six-man rotation. He knew they were tired. He knew. But you have three big injuries, right? You came into the season with what you probably consider to be eight potential starters. If you add Wu and Miller and Hancock to the opening day five, eight guys. Is eight guys always going to do it? No, not necessarily. But eight guys is a very, very good place to start, especially the quality of those eight. And now you're down to five. And a lot of them are young and they're tired. Mariners has some bad luck. But you can't, there's, the Mariners pitching is the envy of the entire, of the entire major leagues. You cannot criticize the fact that they don't have more starting pitching. They have the best group of starting pitching in baseball top to bottom and they happen to suffer some injuries this year the pitching is not the problem so again Mariners are 10th in run scored per game offensively the Mariners are first in whip at 1.14 the Mariners are first in walk rate at 5.6 percent and the Mariners now are fifth in ERA. They were first for a long time. They are now fifth in ERA at 3.92. So you've got what I consider to be a top five, at minimum, top five pitching staff, maybe higher. Could make an argument for top three. And you've got a top third offense in runs scored per game. This is not Jerry DePoto screwing up. If you think they're screwing up, Again, you haven't seen bad Mariners teams. Do I want them to do better? Yes. I think I made my point with having a more diverse lineup. Do I love all the pitchers that the Mariners have? Not necessarily, no. But to be critical of this front office and say it's the front office's fault for the Mariners not making the playoffs, you're not seeing clearly. You're you're really not. We'll talk a bit, well, we'll talk a lot in the offseason about some of the things that I think the Mariners can do to get better. I think the Mariners will have a big one-off sort of offer to Shohei Otani. Again, if it's, if it is, you've got to look at it from a Mariners perspective. I assume the owners are looking at it like an Ichiro type offer, even a Katsuhiro Sasaki when the Mariners understood that the marketing opportunities and the revenue that these Japanese stars could bring to the organization 
was worth the outlay and whatever it took to bring them here. They made, they probably made billions of dollars with Ichiro. I think you could make the same case for Shohei. Whatever it is that you pay him, the organization is probably going to make more money than that in marketing and exposure alone. So I think the Mariners will make a big push for Shohei Otani. It would not surprise me to see them sign him. We will talk about that a ton in the offseason. The other one that I put out there with Jason Churchill a couple of weeks ago, and I said this at the deadline, I could see a scenario where the Mariners trade a starting pitcher for a an impact bat and then go and sign Blake Snell or somebody or, or another pitcher. But Snell, specifically, he's from Shoreline. He's a local kid. Um, the Mariners need a lefty in that rotation, I think, or could use one. Uh, I could see that as a very good fit. I think he'd like to come home. Um, I wouldn't trade Kirby or Castillo, but I think you, if you traded from Gilbert, Miller, Wu, that would make some sense. I don't know what that fit is yet, but if you're able to add a bat from your pitching and use your financial might to go out there and sign a pitcher, I, that that would be great. We'll talk about that a lot more. Again, we'll have the whole offseason to talk about it. I just... You got to believe in this organization. You got to believe in this front office. They're smart. They're really smart. Are they perfect? No. Are they geniuses? Not necessarily. Maybe with some things. The offense needs diversity, but it's still the tenth best scoring offense in, in baseball. It's too reliant on Julio. It's too reliant on home runs. It needs. You need some gap-to-gap hitters. You need some guys that put ball the ball in play. I think you could use another one or two players like JP who just walk a ton. Ty needs to be tossed into a black hole. But they're smart. And I think they will learn from their mistakes. All right. I need a nap. Thank you for listening to today's Mariners cast. Once again, we are presented to you by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. I will be back tomorrow to recap tonight's game. Um, hopefully, we're talking about a Mariners win. Hang in there. This is baseball. This is how it works. You've got a good thing going. Don't lose sight of that. This is not a game of instant gratification. I appreciate y'all listening. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, y'all. Peace.